Well, as I uh, began my, my message, I, I called it Christ Church. Probably would have called it the Church of God or the Church of Christ. That feels too much like a denomination or something I didn't want to throw out. So, Christ Church is what I went with. Um, and so, I'd like to share this morning about what we learn about the church. My main text will be Ephesians. So, I intend to be hopping all around the book of Ephesians, just looking at what, what, what pictures do we see, what do we learn about God's church from Ephesians. And uh, definite uh, fair acknowledgement that um, I probably break a, a few preaching rules. I feel like you have to be a seasoned preacher before you can reuse sermons. I feel like uh, there's got to be rules somewhere that you got to like preach 25 sermons and then you can start recycling some. Um, but uh, I don't know, Mitch said I could repeat one, and I, I, I filled in for my pastor at my church last week, and Mitch said I could repeat it, so here I am. So I hope you learned that ice cream last week because it won't uh, be much different. Um, so anyway, my, my apologies, but Mitch, Mitch gave me permission. Uh, so, I, I love the church. I've been just a part of good churches my whole life, really. Uh, just uh, small churches, big churches, country churches, uh, whatever it might be. I, I just love the church. And years ago, I kind of was looking at Ephesians and seeing what, what cool pictures there are. I thought, I want to just kind of study and, and dive into this. Um, and and I, um, I'm encouraged by Good News Church. I, just think, I, I love you guys' perseverance and your just the faithfulness in meeting here. I know, I know it's, uh, there's other choices you guys have, and I know it's a sacrifice in many ways. I know that when you're uh, part of a church plant, there's, no, uh, there's not much um, passengers. It's all everyone's crew members. Everyone's got, you know, everyone's diving in. So I appreciate you guys. I also recognize a little bit of a danger with me um, preaching in general, because what do I know? But also... Um, just, it, it, as I'm doing a kind of a topical sermon, I'm kind of jumping from this verse to that verse to this verse. I recognize the danger that um, I don't want to misuse God's word and pick this and like, like you know, skip certain things. So um, I, I, I did my best to be very fair to it, but I just acknowledge that hopping around does bring up the question of am I hopping correctly? So um, church, the, when we talk about the church, I think it's a very... Emotional topic, people get, can be very passionate about the church. Some people love the church. Many people hate the church. Um, churches have absolutely messed up historically. Um, scandals, abuse, uh, hatred in the church, division, uh, all the, the number of denominations there are. People just see that as a church fighting. Um, yeah, I think there are like 200 Christian denominations in the U.S., like I, I couldn't make up that many. So many. Um, yeah, the churches just people think of churches as a place of judges. They think of hypocrites. Uh, people that tend feel neglected, uh, feel hurt, misled, confused. So I love the church, but I, I don't. I don't walk into the topic blindly, thinking, "Oh, churches just are great and without fault." So I, I want to have a posture of humility uh, and ready to repent that if, if I or my church or the church has been in the wrong, we, we need to be quick to acknowledge our sin and, be, and humbly do the right thing. So, I, uh, a week ago, uh, one of my daughters couldn't sleep one night. And so I was with her, and I thought, I want to get her to sleep as fast as I can. And so I thought, what better way to get her to fall asleep than to talk about my sermon? So I said, you know, I get to preach soon. <laughs> okay, Dad. And I said, I'm going to preach about the church. I said, she's eight. 
years old, I said, um, can you tell me, what, what is the church? If you had to say, what is the church? What is the church? Expecting her to say something like, it's the building we go to, or something like that. And her answer was, oh, it's God's people coming together to worship him. Whoa, pretty, pretty impressive. And uh, I was hoping that somehow I would get credit on the deal for being just a great teaching dad, or something, or maybe my wife, and she probably does get credit. But uh, she said, I said, huh, you just come up with that? She said, no, I saw it on the Phil Fisher show. So some, some TV shows, you know, like Christian little show she watches, and I'm like, man, that's, that's great. It's great that she, my, my wife probably steered her to watch that, and it's great that she remembered that. But what a, what a great definition. It's God's people coming together to worship Him. So yeah, the church is a community. God's people, it can be um, just a local congregation, but we also think of the church worldwide, the church. So you, either one, it's God's people gathered to worship Him, the worshiping assembly before God. Um, the church, uh, I, I mean, one, one uh, just thing cool about the church is it's not bound. We, we think of the church as oh, that building there or that one there. But the church is not, um, it's not bound by location, it's, it's all around the world. It's not bound by what we see. There's a visible church and invisible church. We see churches and we think that's the church. God knows who's really his. Right? Not every building out there that has a people coming that has a sign out front that says church, I would say is part of God's church. Right? So uh, God knows. We're not bound by location, by what we see. We're not bound by time as we gather as a church. We're, we're, we have communion a little bit with people that came before us, so with the heroes of our faith that also gather just Churches like this, little, little little places like this. So we have community, mostly with each other, but we also can think of a broader community also. Churches in so many different languages, time zones. Um, it's been said that the church is like a taste of heaven. Right? It's, uh, it's, it's, um, there's diversity to it. It's gathers to worship God. So you know, kind of, it's, it's kind of a taste of heaven here. When we're, in, when we're in heaven, we will be worshiping God as a community. We will be bowing before him. Um, as I was looking at Ephesians, trying to see what, what the main message of the church is, uh, I was, the, the thing I landed on would be this. I feel like we can learn from Ephesians that God treasures the church, and we show our love for God as we love his church. So God treasures the church, and we show our love for God as we love his church. And I would not, I'm not trying to argue or say that Loving the church is the only way. There's many ways to show love for God. One way to show love for God is by loving his church. So as we look at Ephesians, kind of the two main parts of the, the discussion this morning. One is, what's Christ's role in the church? What does the Ephesians say that Christ is doing? What's the picture of him? What, what is he doing as part of the church? And the other side of that coin is, what are we doing? What is the church's role uh, in being the church? So Ephesians, um, I didn't look at what page it's on in your Bibles, I apologize. Um, but Ephesians is a letter that Paul, Apostle Paul wrote. He had visited Ephesus on his missionary journeys and kind of established some churches. And now years later he's in prison and he's writing to encourage them. And that he, whether he's just writing just one church or like a kind of a, a network of churches in the area, this is Paul's letter to them to encourage them and challenge them. So, I'm going to be jumping around. We'll be almost entirely in Ephesians, but we'll be jumping around within Ephesians. So, first uh, part of the, the top topic this morning is, what is Christ pictured as? What is his role in the church? So, in uh, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, uh, I'm going to read that for us. 
as read earlier this morning also, but uh, let me read it again. Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23. And God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I'll read it again. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is body, the fullest of him who fills everything in every way. So the first thing we see that Christ is, he's the head. Right? He controls everything. The body was absolutely nothing without the head. He rules, guides, sustains, controls. He's the center of it all as the head. Um, and within this passage that was read earlier, 19 to 21, it really is talking also about his power. Uh, and his great power for us, incomparably great power for us to believe. So he's the head. He's not just a head, not just in thinking terms, but he's also the head with power. Uh, Kent Hughes writes, um, the God, the, as we look at, I'm sorry, the phrase in 22 says, all things are under his feet. A similar idea is um, verse, uh, end of verse 10, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Kent Hughes writes regarding Christ, uh, be all things being under him, he says, all redeemed souls, all the universe, all the angel, angelic hosts, literally everything in heaven and on earth, material, spiritual, everything within, without, above, and below, will be united in Christ and be under him, the head. He's supreme over everything. So the first thing we see is he's the head. All things are under him. And we look around and it doesn't feel that way often, but we know that he is the head of the church and that, he is, that all things are under him. And that's, he's both the head of, I'd say he's the head of each, I mean, this looks like it's kind of a global church. It's, he's the head of the church as a whole. But part of that is he's the head of Good News Church. Uh, next in chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, we see that he's the cornerstone. And we read verses, chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. So again in verse 20, the, uh, members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Christ is the cornerstone of the church. A little bit we'll be singing the song Cornerstone, which is completely based on this. First Peter 2 also has the same analogy. First Peter 2, and it kind of adds to it, I'd say. Uh, First Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So, um, again, just the analogy the Christ is the cornerstone, we are the, the stones, we are being built. Upon him, he's the foundation. Um, the cornerstone, 
is, is like a foundation in current building structures where the stability of the structure is based on the foundation, based on the cornerstone. You don't, um, you don't adjust, after you place the cornerstone or place the foundation of the building, you don't then readjust the foundation. You say, oh, let's, let's move the foundation. You say, let's, let's move the walls, move everything according to the foundation. It, it, it's set, and other things adjust according to it. Um, my church is, we're building, building a, and we bought property, we're going to have a, a building for our church. And you just have to keep reminding ourselves that those, that, those rocks, that's not our cornerstone, that, that, that it's just a building, we still need to be faithful, we still need to be the body, and we still don't, you know, the Christ is the cornerstone, not whatever we pay too much for from another company. Um, seeing Christ as our cornerstone reminds us that he's our foundation, that we're secure in him. Throughout history, the church has been attacked, the church has been persecuted, but it's kind of cool to think that Kingdoms have come and gone, dynasties have come and gone, but the church has been a thread that has lasted uh, through the centuries. There was a man named Theodore Beza that his wording was, remember that the church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. The church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. We're, Christ is our cornerstone. He is our, um, here's our rock and our foundation. So we see uh, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Moving into chapter 4, verse 7-11. Uh, I'm going to just skip a couple there just um, for efficiency. So, chapter 4, verse 7 and 11. Um, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, the picture we see of Christ here is he's the giver. He gives gifts for his church. And I, I think it's fair to say in verse 7, the apportioning, I feel like he's apportioning the gifts to us. So to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. He gave these different gifts. So, so what... Um, the Bible teaches that we all have gifts from God for the church. And that they're not just random or not just something we can come up with ourselves. They're, they're portioned by God for us. And so all the more reason for us to kind of dive in and think, what is my gift? What are my abilities? And how can I use them to bless? So Christ is the head. He's the cornerstone. He gives gifts. And then two more pictures of uh, Christ. They're right kind of back to back. Chapter 5, verse 23. And this morning, as I'm sharing any verses from chapter 5, we need to just stay layers of focus on the topic of Jesus and the church. We don't want to veer off to any things that would get me in trouble with my wife. Okay? <laughs> so we're, we're focused on Christ and the church. That's, that's our focus. So uh, chapter 5, verse 23. <clears throat> it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So the, as husband is head of the wife, the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So the, kind of, it's already kind of repeating that he's the head, and now it's bringing up also he's the Savior. Uh, very often we think of Christ being the Savior individually. When I was uh, five years old or so, I prayed and wanted Jesus to be my Savior. I wanted him in my heart to follow him. And I, I believe that, that that is when God came into my life and made me a new person. 
Okay? But he's not just each of our saviors individually. He's also the savior of the church. It's also the church he came to save. So the, the, he's the head of the church. He's the savior of the church. And the last picture I just want to look at is right, uh, right there, um, the next paragraph, verse 25 to 27. We're staying laser focused here. Uh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, blemish but holy and blameless. So we see Christ as the bridegroom, as the husband, as that's the, the, the getting married, and the church as his bride is the picture. Again, let me say something. Just think of the things that Christ has done for the church. As Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, blemish but holy and blameless. So we see his love for the church, his tenderness, his care, that the church is not just some institution that man made up, it's not just a, a good thing to try and help out. It's something that Christ loves as a husband loves his wife. He, he loved the church, he gave himself up for her, he made her holy, he washed her, presented her radiant, without blemish. And kind of looking at Christ's role overall here, we see that Ephesians has a very high view of Christ and the church. He's the head of the church. He's the cornerstone. He gives gifts, apportions them to the church. He's the savior of the church. He's the bridegroom of the church. God, I, I think it's very clear from Ephesians, just this book alone, how God treasures the church. It's not just a nice thing to be part of. It, it, God treasures it. Uh, John Piper uh, wrote, uh, kind of summarizing all the things Christ has done for the church, not just from Ephesians, but from other places as well. Just the list of things that Christ has done for the church it's, it's a good encouragement. Christ fills the universe with his glory by showing the universe his body. How he chose her. How he destined her. How he came for her and taught her. How he suffered for her and died for her and rose for her and reigns for her. How he called her and justified her and cleansed her and kept her and will raise her and glorify her and satisfy her forever and ever with himself. The, the many things, just as you look at all that Christ has done for the church, it's, it can be overwhelming to think of who he is and what he's done for the church. So, yeah, I think, I think it's clear that God treasures the church. And I, I think that we can show our love for God as we love the church. So I'm going to move on to the next part. And I'm going to repeat a lot of the same passages again. But... Now it's kind of the same idea, but well, what's, the, what's the picture of us? What, what's our role? What, what's our, uh, how, does, how, does, uh, how does Paul, how does God envision the church, church's role? So back to chapter 1 again, verse 23. Um, I'll read 22 and 23. So we're looking, what, what's, what's the church's role? What is the church pictured as or depicted as? God placed all things under his feet and appointed Jesus to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So naturally, if he's the head, we're the body. We're, we're the kind of fulfillment of him. And it's kind of a theme in Ephesians. 
uh, uh, the word body it happens 11 or 12 times there. Um, and the word one, like one another, or one body, one spirit, one Lord, happens 37 times. There's a lot of unity and connectedness to Ephesians. And so uh, this here, being the body of Christ, it connects us to Christ and it connects us to each other. Um, we're mutually dependent on each other. You know, just like in any body, of course, as Corinthians, you see, like, the hand is no good without an arm, but the arm is no good without a hand. Right? And just, just a simple idea, just getting to make music this morning, you know, it works with the body. If you take out three parts, whatever, four parts, it'll leave only one part. There's not much to it. You, you put a bunch together, and it's so much richer. So we are the body. We are mutually dependent on each other. We've been given gifts to use to encourage each other. As I was reading this, and I, I was trying to avoid verse 23, the, the fullest part. I'm like, what, what do you mean we're the fullest? This is where the church where his body, the fullest of him who feels everything in every way. I'm like, how are we the fullest? I, I, don't, I don't feel like we're, that's like implying that he's lacking and that we are, the church is like, right? But I, I think the, the picture with the fullness is probably just he's the head of the body, we complete the completion. So we, we complete the body, part of it. Um, but also, again from John Piper, talking about the, um, the church, uh, God needs to fill the universe with his glory, uh, with the glory of his son, by putting the church on display as the embodiment of his son. That we're as full as because Christ uh, in flesh has been risen and is in heaven now. So we are the embodiment. We are his body. That if people want to see Jesus, they can see the church. Both individuals in the church and the church as a whole. So we're kind of his fullness in that we are completing him. He's the head, we're the body. He's in heaven, we're on earth. Um, the same idea of, of his fullness is in chapter 4, where I was reading earlier. Um, 4, 11, 13, it says, Christ, uh, like I read earlier, is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and evangelists, and teachers, and pastors, to prepare God's people for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This same idea is here again. I think it's another place in Ephesians also where it talks about the fullness or his fullness. And so I, I really like verse 11 and 13, just kind of the picture where Christ gives gifts to equip the people to build up the body to become mature and attain to the fullness. So it's kind of a, a whole thing. He gives gifts, build up, to attain to the fullness of Christ. So the church, um, first picture here, and you see that that I look at is we're his body, we're his, we're, we're his completion. Um, we are connected to him and to one another. Next, again in chapter two, same passage, verse uh, nineteen. And I might read a couple more after that, but two nineteen. Consider that you are no longer foreigners and aliens; you are fellow citizens of God's people, members of His household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Um, so the picture here is we're his household, his home. Um, often I think of, you know, look around our U.S. right now, and it feels like there's so many divisive things, so many conflicts, and, and just fires way to, way to start. It, it just is, it, I feel like we're in a tough, tough days right now. Um, and I know there's been plenty other difficulties. But as Paul's writing here in Ephesians, there's also a difficulty then. And the, the main thing that the church was dealing with then was 
Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews thought they were God's people, and the Gentiles were foreigners. But in this passage we see that the Gentiles are brought in to be citizens with them. And that by itself is a, a wonderful thing for Gentiles. They say, wow, well, we're citizens too. But Paul goes beyond just saying you're citizens. You're not just citizens. You're members of the household, members of the home. Um, and it's kind of a reminder for us too that uh, when we are members of the church and when, we're, when we gather, we don't need to worry so much about our other identity. When I come to church on a Sunday morning, you know, yes, yes, throughout the week, I'm a teacher, and that's kind of, my, that's kind of the main hat I wear as being a teacher's profession. But in the church, there can be doctors and teachers and mechanics and pilots, all these different things. But when we walk into the church, we are um, we're family, we're brothers and sisters. So just a reminder that we're his home, we're his household, we're his body. And then um, right there, verse 22, it says, In him you two are being built together, become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So another picture of the church is a, a dwelling for his spirit. Not just a household, but a, a dwelling for his spirit. So just, a, just a good challenge for us is, are we a dwelling for his spirit? As a body, is, is, are we walking in the light? Are we dealing with sin? Are we loving others? Are, are we a, a home for God's spirit? Um, and then I'd like to move to chapter 3, a, a passage we haven't hit already. Uh, verse 7 through 11. This passage is always intriguing. Maybe did you steal my water and could I please have Thank you, Anne. So chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Okay. So another picture of the church here. Um, 3, 7 through 11. Uh, Paul writes, I became a servant of the gospel. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, though I'm less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, created all things. Verse 10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, verse 10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers, authorities, and heavenly places, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the manifold wisdom of God, many-sided, many-colored, like a uh, embroidery, uh, just a beautiful arrangement of flowers or something, Many colors, many sides. That's the kind of the picture of his wisdom. So the man through the church, the wisdom of God would be made known. And not just uh, for the sake of the church, not that you say, wow, that church is amazing. But this is, this is, the wisdom of God is amazing. And he uses the church as a platform, as a stage to show his wisdom. And the audience for the wisdom, it can be, it can and should be people, but here it's talking about the audience of the wisdom is the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's kind of intriguing to think that angels, demons, watch the church and see, wow, God is so wise in this, in this thing he's established. So when we meet on a Sunday, it can feel very just habitual, just routine. Yeah? We show up, what are the songs, what's the sermon, what am I doing after church, what I got going on. 
They're just a reminder that, and, and not, not to say the church is just Sunday mornings, of course, church is all week, or the body's all week, but just a reminder that as a church, we're being watched, that the angels and demons are seeing, wow, how does God do this? Uh, how does he bring Gentiles and Jews together in one body? How does Christ unify it all? So, so we, the church, are a stage. We are a place where we are being viewed um, to see God's wisdom. It reminds me of 1 Peter 1 also where it says, even angels long look into these things. Another verse of, of heavenly hosts kind of looking and being intrigued, watching God's plan, watching salvation, watching uh, the church. Um, and in seeing the church here, we, we can recognize and revere the, the immense centrality of the church. We are so central to God's work, to, to, to God's, what's on his heart. Uh, Ken Hughes writes, also that the church has an, has an immense responsibility to be a pocket of reconciliation and peace in an alienated world. That we do need to be a, a people, a place of peace, of, of love, of, of reconciliation. And it's, it's not it's just a simple thing to say, and it can be a difficult thing to say, especially if there's hurt, uh, which there is. But, but that's our, kind of our role. Uh, chapter 3, we got two more uh, pictures of the church. So we see the church is his body, it's his home, it's a place for his spirit, it's a stage for his wisdom. And then the end of chapter 3 is another, uh, similar to the beginning of chapter 3. I, I look at this as the church as a platform for God's glory. It's a somewhat uh, familiar passage. Uh, chapter 3, verse 20 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's kind of a run-on sentence. It's kind of long. I, I've loved this verse for years. Um, and I remember years ago, I was looking at this verse, and I thought, there's so many little dis- describers and descriptors within it, you know, of this and to this and by this and for this. I kept thinking, well, what's the, what's the center? If we take out all the extras of this sentence, of this verse, what's the core of it that everything else is kind of built around? So I was looking at it, and I guess I didn't ask some of the speaks Greek. Maybe the Greek would mess me up. I don't know. As far as I can tell, NIV-wise, English-wise, the, the four words that, this, that are the core of this verse is, to him be glory. That's what the verse says. To him be glory. And then, like we kind of think of, if you're investigating, you want to know more about something, you want to know what, where, why, when, how, who, etc. I feel like this verse just kind of lays out all of that. The what of the verse is... Um, to him be glory. That's, that's the what. But then it also says the who. Well, to who be glory? Well, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's the who. So to him who is able to do so much more than anything we can ask or imagine, to him be glory. And then the how or the why is kind of mixed together. But uh, I'd say the how or the why of this verse is um, how should he be glory? Why should he be glory? According to his power that's at work within us. So that's, that, that's uh, his power work within us is the how or the why of him being glorified here. And then as a focus this morning, the where, the location, where should he be glorified? Not that he wouldn't be glorified everywhere. Of course God should be glorified in all things everywhere. But when Apostle Paul writes here, and he, he picks two places. He says to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So that's the where of God's glory in this setting. In the church and in Christ Jesus, to him be glory. So, just what a high view of the church, that, that we're a stage, we're a house, we're a, we're a platform, 
we're, we're the stage for we're the wearer of, of where should God be glorified in the church. May God be praised in the church, both directly by us praising Him and singing and, and opening His word, but also by angels, by, by other people watching, seeing uh, our good deeds. And then the when of this verse. So we have the what, who, how, where, and then the when is when should God be glorified? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. So that's so we see that the church, we, are platform for God's glory. And then um, one last picture here is chapter 5, verse 24, which we've kind of jumped around that part anyway. It says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So we're looking there, and just, it, that, that kind of, those couple paragraphs right there in chapter 5 say a lot about Christ. He loved the church, he gave himself up, all, he did all these things. There's not too much said about what the church is doing in the meantime, except verse 24 says, church submits to Christ. So it's our, our call to submit to Christ. We, as uh, uh, Life Spring, where I'm from, where you guys here in the church, your job is to submit. You, um, if your plan, policy, if you're deciding, you don't know what to do, you're, and yes, it'd be simpler if we could just ask you if they tell us, you know, we've got to search, we've got we to gotta use wisdom. But uh, anyway, the, the role of the church is to, to submit, to, to follow. So, um, the, the church really is a divine human enterprise. It's God's doing, it's our doing. Um, uh, we see the centrality of the church in God's eyes. Sometimes people will say, you know, I, I, I like Jesus, I am a person of faith, but I really don't like the church. I, I, got, I, I went such and such, I didn't like this, I... I didn't like the music, didn't like, well, did you hear what the, the leader, the pastor did? And, uh, people can be very hurt by the church and very want, just want to walk away from it. But I think uh, we see in God's word that that is just not at all what God's perspective is. He loves the church. He treasures the church. We're his body, his household. This dwelling place for his spirit, a stage for his wisdom, a platform for his glory, and we're his bride. So he treasures the church and we can show our love for him as we love his church. Um, my daughter was giving me a sign a little bit ago that Dad, you're going to the I really don't know what time I started or what time I'm supposed to end. I never asked Bob or Mitch, what the, what's the minute timing? So I'm getting close. I'll, I'll, I'll be quicker. Um, so my passage, my text this morning is Ephesians. If I had time, I wouldn't, well, if I had time, I wouldn't, there's other a really cool verses outside of Ephesians that are totally worth exploring. I'll just kind of read them just to remind you of some of the other great things in Scripture. Uh, Revelation 21, we see again that Christ is the bride. Revelation 21, verse 2 says, I saw, John writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So Ephesians mentions, oh, Christ is the bride. But now in Revelation, he sees the bride as a beautiful, beautifully dressed for her husband. So we're the bride of Christ together. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, it's, uh, uh, Paul writes about God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So along with being a bride and all these other things, the church is the pillar of truth. And so, you know, we're called to stand on God's truth, to, to put his word and his truth above, above all. We, we are, we're not just a place of love and kindness, which we need to be, but we also are a pillar of the truth. We need to hold firmly uh, to the trustworthy message that has, has, has been taught. And in Acts 20, verse 28, uh, Luke writes, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 
Just a, a cool wording about Jesus purchased the church. He bought it with his own blood. And then Matthew 16, which was read earlier, um, where Peter says, or Jesus says to the disciples, he's been doing all these miracles. He says, hey, who do you, who do you guys think I am? Who, who do you say I am? And they say, well, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right now. And Jesus says, you are Peter. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So just looking at his phrase, I will build my church. So I think it's kind of cool that early, like in Ephesians, we see he's the cornerstone of the church. And in Matthew, we see he's also the builder. So now he's, he builds the church and he's the cornerstone of the church. So I think he's quite uh, vested in the church. So, anyway, so as far as application, so we, uh, again, I think just in general, we just, from Ephesians, from God's word, we see God loves the church. He treasures the church. And uh, that we can show our love for him as we love the church, as we're committed to it. And like I said earlier, there's, of course, there's issues. There's leaders. The leaders are going to mess up. We can't just follow a leader of a church. We need to follow Christ as the head, not just the leader. Um, and then again, when we meet, we just feel, it can just feel so routine. Just, oh yeah, Sunday, yeah, right? <coughs> church and going on, whatever it is. But it's so much more. It's such a, a wonderful thing to be a part of a church. Um, God intends for more than just us to be nice, good people that follow him individually. He, like, he wants us to see our unity in our gathering. So we see he's the head, Christ is the head, the cornerstone, the savior, the gift giver, the bridegroom. We're his body, his home, his uh, dwelling place, his uh, place to show his wisdom, his glory, his bride. So some things we can do about that. Uh, I, think I have six listed here. I don't know. I probably can't do six things, but maybe think of one of them. I don't know. Uh, one that kind of follow through would be just make sure we are loving God's church, that we hold it in high regard, that we defend His church, um, and not at all in a um, territorial way like oh this this congregation. Right? Many you know so many different church buildings and congregations, and you know it's our call that if if, if this other building is a church, if they're preaching the gospel, if they're obeying God, following His word, we gotta love them too. We, we gotta pray for them, bless them. Right? It's not at all a call to, to kind of hedge in and oh, worthy, you know, there's nothing possessive like that. We need to love any church that, that preaches the gospel um, and, and hold it in high regard and defend it. Uh, another thing is, uh, second thing is be connected. I think you guys all do, already do a great job. I, I just, again, like I said, I'm encouraged by this church. I feel like you guys are so faithful and so intentional, and I, I just, I just am encouraged uh, when I hear what, what's going on over here. And so blessed by you guys. So be connected as you are. Be members of the body. Um, know what your gifts are. I, I, I probably was a Christian many years before I really thought through, well, what are my spiritual gifts? Right? God forces them, and he gives them. But he doesn't give us gifts just to say, wow, I really have a good gift. Look at me, right? It's a gift to be used, to build up, to help others. And maybe we don't know our gifts. You can read the list. There's four, like four main places in the New Testament that kind of list off what the gifts are. You can read them. It can help you. You can also ask someone else in the body. Say, hey, I don't really know what my gift is. Do you have an idea what my gifting would be? And be encouraged by them. You can also know your gift by trying. Right? Just dive in and do something, and if it goes great, maybe that's your gift. And if it's not, it's not. So you, you don't know until, it's your, until you try. So be connected. Be, use, use your gifts. Another application I'd say that we could look at from here is to honor people who work in the church. 
Um, I think as much as God values the church, he must value people that give their lives to the church also. And so, just, um, I, I think it's a call for us to bless our leaders. To bless, you know, first, I certainly think of Mitch, or cabinet at my church, that I think it's a hard thing to be a pastor. It's hard. You know, you mess up, you got everyone after you, and and just week after week, everyone else gets a weekend, and you know, like on Saturdays, you're you're on call, so you got to make sure you're set to go for the next day. So love your love your pastor, uh, bless them. First uh, Timothy five seventeen talks about give double <coughs> to those who whose service who are the wording, but basically people that are leading the church give double honor to them. Um, and then uh, another thing would be fight for unity, fight for reconciliation. Don't give up on the church. Don't let uh, offenses be too much. Fight for the church. Be strong. Um, don't don't uh, yeah. Don't don't let little things um, uh, hurt you with the church. Our constitution, like uh, for the members, we have a, a expectation. If you're a member of LifeSpring, our Constitution says members will strive to guard the unity of the church by being slow to take offense, quick to forgive, and careful in speech, as well as never allowing matters of personal taste to be a basis of division in the church. I just think those are just simple, but just you just need to hear them. Right? Strive to guard the unity of the church. Be slow to be offended, quick to forgive, careful in how we speak, and don't let our personal feelings be the, like the basis of right? and then uh, I just think the church is so worth investing in the parable of the talents where you know, some, some people get five talents, some ten, whatever and, and the owner comes back and says hey what did you, you do with what I gave you and the one guy's like well I, I didn't want to lose it so I buried it right? no, God doesn't want us to bury he wants us to use, if he's giving you a gift if he's giving you a passion if he's giving you something, we got to use it there's a lot of distractions in life there's a lot of wonderful things in life, but don't don't let's not major on the minors. Let's let's invest. Let's use our gifts. Let's let's invest in the church. Don't waste our life. Um, uh, Bill Hybels, again, um, I don't know what you know by Bill Hybels, but it's certainly some sin there. But man, he's got a good quote about the church. He lo- he loves or loved the church. I think he loves the church. In his one of his books, he wrote, "There's nothing like the local church." when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving, heals the broken in the context of community. The church builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need. It opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. The church breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized in this world. Whatever capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. The potential of a local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the chance to look at your word and, and gather in your name. Just pray that you'll be honored. Pray that you're you will grow your church, Lord, and you will give extra grace and strength and encouragement to your people here. Pray, God, for revival in the Woodstock, that many people will uh, come to see their need for a Savior, and they'll come to see that you alone uh, are the hope that they have. Just pray your blessing on Mitch and Katie, and be gracious to them, give them uh, encouragement and strength, and bless them, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name.